As he prepared to run for president in 1987, George H.W. Bush seemed to have the perfect resume. Former congressman, ambassador to the United Nations, ambassador to China, CIA director, vice president. But when Newsweek profiled him for a cover story that fall, it noted he was plagued with what the magazine called a potentially crippling handicap, a perception that he isn't strong enough or tough enough for the challenges of the Oval Office, that he is, in a single mean word, a wimp. It was a brutal assessment, made even crueler by the headline on the cover, George Bush, it read, fighting the wimp factor. It was a line that stuck in the public consciousness and was seared into the memory of Bush himself and his family, most of whom came to resent the magazine for years into the future. But now as the country remembers the 41st president and celebrates his contributions to the country, the editor of that Newsweek story has stepped forward to apologize for it. And in a piece in Yahoo News this week, say something you rarely hear in Washington, I was wrong. We'll talk to that former Newsweek editor and explore how and why he came to that conclusion on today's Buried Treasure. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes is a ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydeman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So we are uh, truly honored today to have that former Newsweek editor, our old boss and bureau chief, Evan Thomas. Evan, welcome to the show. It's great to be back. Great to see you guys. Yeah. So that was quite a piece you wrote in Newsweek. Well, that was quite a piece you wrote in Yahoo News this week about the Newsweek cover story. And I got to say, when I was reading that or rereading it just this week, the original 1987 cover story, it read to me about like something that was written today about somebody who was the anti-Donald Trump. The lead talks about how Bush, when he was a school kid, was graded on a category, claims no more than his fair share of time and attention. And his dad, Prescott Bush, the former senator, would upbraid him if he was taking too much credit for something. Sure. Bush represents a culture that is now dead which was sort of high wasp good manners. The idea was that because you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you were expected to rule everything, you were not supposed to brag about it. I mean, it was a direct connection to the power. Because you're going to have all this power, don't flaunt it. That generation, that class, that group, that is gone. Uh, We live in a much more meritocratic world today. You're supposed to be more assertive. You're supposed to boast. You're supposed to brag. And Bush is just... That's a dead letter. It's just, it's just yeah. gone. Evan, yeah, that was already part of the problem for him back then when you wrote the piece, right? Isn't that in some ways the source of his, of his problems, of his perceived He was already weakness? dated. I mean, it, this is a long time ago, but he was already passe. Moderate Republicans were already dead in 1987. They're really dead now. I mean, there's just no trace. 
But in 1987, they were pretty dead. It was relatively new then. As recently as the 60s, Rockefeller and names people forgotten. John Bill, Lindsay. Bill Scranton, John Lindsay. Yeah. The Republican Party mm-hmm. had a significant branch of it that was moderate, even liberal, and it was kind of gentlemanly and old school, and there was sort of deference paid to it for a while, but already it was coming apart. I mean, right. by, by the 1980s, it was already in retreat. So one, one more point on this, and then I actually want to go back, and I, I, I want you to tell the story of how this infamous cover came to be. But w- one of the things that I think came through from your piece in Yahoo News is that you know, Bush, when he leaves New England and moves to Texas, uh, he doesn't go to Wall Street the way most of um, his generation did. And then he gets into politics. Well, the politics were really changing. It had become a much more hard-edged, evangelical, populist Republican Party. He didn't really feel all that comfortable in it. He had to make all sorts of compromises. He didn't really feel comfortable in his skin. And it, I got the sense that that was also part of the problem for him. Well, there were two things. He's not comfortable bragging, period, about right, anything, right. baseball or politics. Right. Then, in his own party, he has to make compromises to get elected. Bush is a very ambitious guy. He may not want to brag, but he is a super ambitious guy. He wants to be president. He thinks he should be president. He is going to do what it takes to be president. That calls for him compromising his own views on things like civil rights. Right. Now, the fact is, what's surprising to me in just reading some of the tributes to Bush, but also going back at uh, some of the highlights of his career, this was an issue. The is he tough enough question was an issue from the get-go. And we've got a clip here from Bush on Face the Nation in 1979, when he was first preparing to run for president, then against Ronald Reagan and Bob Dole, and he was being grilled about this very question. Among uh, even your friends, uh, the minority who know who you are and who admire you in the party, one of the things that always comes up is that maybe George Bush is too nice a guy to be president. Maybe he's not tough enough. Yeah, Uh, I've heard that. If you can't take out after a, what about the tough enough question? And and start out, but if you don't don't want to take out after these other guys. I don't equate toughness with just attacking some individual. I don't attack, I, I equate toughness with moral fiber, with character, with principle, with demonstrated leadership in tough jobs where you emerge, not bullying somebody, but with the respect of the people you led. That's toughness. That's fiber. That's character. I've got it, and if I happen to be decent in the process, that should not be a liability. Wait, was that Dana Carvey? (laughs) (laughs) Character. Dana Dana Carvey talking to Donald Trump, maybe. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So, you know, there it was. That's 1979, eight years before this. uh, No, it had been uh, dogging him for a while. He was was bad on the stump. One-on-one, he was incredibly impressive. He was funny and charming. And actually, you felt his weight. But on the stump, he was tinny and arfy and and uh, twangy. twangy. You talked about his twangy voice in your piece. I mean, it was, it's just it was it was jarring and it was grating. It was unfair to judge him. But after all, he's running. He's got to be on the stump. Of course, people are going to judge him that way. All, all right. right, tell us a story about how the wimp factor ended up on the cover of Newsweek magazine. Bush is getting ready to run, and the editors want to make some kind of a statement. News magazines are having their own struggle with relevance at this point. You know, TV is coming up, and news magazines are still making a lot of money. This is before the Internet, so we're still rich. But we are worried about our relevance, and one way you are relevant is to make statements, to be bold. 
And the editor, uh, Rick Smith in New York, said, let's be bold here. Let's, let's put a bell on this problem. This guy's got a problem. It's being whispered about. It's being talked about. Not just whispered about, but written about Doonesbury cartoons. George Will is writing about it. Certainly in the establishment and the chattering classes, they're talking about this. Let's identify it. Let's call it out. Let's put the word on the cover. And was the word out there, too? I think in the Doonesbury word. it was. It was. It was beginning to be. Yeah. Uh, it was more in the chattering class. It wasn't. You don't, you don't see a lot of evidence of it in print, but certainly amongst. I mean, the guy's own pollster, Teeter, told us yes, he's got a problem with the word wimp. So the the byline on this on the cover story is Margaret Warner. You right. were the editor. Right. Was the word wimp in her copy? No, uh, I did. Margaret. This, uh, every reporter will appreciate this story. <laughs> she went out and <laughs> did we the we among them. Yeah. You yes. among them. She yeah. went out and did the hard work of really getting inside. She won the trust of the Bushes and had an interview with him and, and the with him and with a family the whole and fa- yeah. sisters and yeah. brothers and I mean she really got inside. She spent weeks on this, and she found the true story of all the stuff about Bush being modest and his family. All of that. That's early reporting by her. She got all that. She gave it to me, and in the Newsweek system, there are many layers, and I, I was the Washington bureau chief. I was their boss, so I rewrote her story, and I put the word wimp in the story and cast it in such a way basically to please my own editors because right. I knew what they wanted, and right. I was, that was— Thinking the, that that word would be on the cover? Yes. So you were the Quisling. I, I was the Quisling, exactly. Yeah. I was the Vichy government. If you want to use <laughs> World War II analogies, I was the Vichy government yeah. that put the word into the story. Yeah. So did she, was this her reporting, uh, Dorothy Bush, the mother? Yes. Uh, you, this, uh, the great I am? That was brilliant reporting. It's yeah. a brilliantly reported piece. Yeah. Margaret, what, really, what is that? Tell Sorry. us that, that Well, part? I'll read this. Yeah. It, the Bush child burst into the house to say he's hit a home run that day. Dorothy Bush would sweetly reply, how did the team do, dear? And then it says, uh, basically, boasting was frowned upon as self-absorption and poor taste and drew from Dorothy Bush the admonishment, I don't want to hear any more about the great I am. That was original reporting. That's all Margaret. She, she got the basis for all this by, by getting close to the, doing what reporters do. She got close to the family. They trusted her, and they told her very revealing anecdotes about George Bush's upbringing that had not appeared elsewhere. Okay, you know what's so fascinating? Hold on one sec, because mm-hmm. the— some of that, those kind of characterological observations, you then see later in life in these important uh, decisions that he made and ways that he handled you know, geopolitics, for example. You One do. word that comes up in your piece is restraint. Restraint yeah. was a real important value in that yeah. class. And we now talk about his restraint all the time in how he yeah. dealt with ending the Cold War, for example. I think you Or not your, going to Baghdad. Uh, you put your finger on something big. I was asked to give a toast about Bush on Saturday night, and that was the word I used, restraint. It's all about restraint, which is so foreign today. Everybody, everybody wants to be out there showing off, waving their arms, look at me, look at me. It's a product of many cultural f- forces, the me generation of the 1970s. We are more meritocratic. We don't just accede ex- to authority. We don't accept our, quote, betters. All that's gone. You've got to show your stuff. You've got to stretch your stuff. And restraint got lost. Now, it's easy to make fun of it. Jana Carvey did. He would talk about wouldn't be prudent. This right, is an old right, uh, Bush. Right, uh, right. Wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't yeah. be well. Well, Dick Cheney actually told a great story on, on Meet the Press that after the collapse of the Berlin Wall and, and all of that, he wanted to put military attaches in the embassies, in our embassies, in those former Soviet republics. And Brent Scowcroft, 
uh, who reflected, I think, this, these exact yeah. values and maybe had been talking about Bush. This is no, we're not going to dance on the grave. We're not going to spike right. the football. That was classic Bushy and restraint. Don't taunt. You know, don't yeah. rub it in. And he made that very, very clear. He even said, uh, when people said, why aren't you more happy that the Berlin Wall is coming down and you've won? And he said, well, I'm really not an emotional guy. That's not true. George Bush cried easily. He was a very emotional guy, but he knew how to restrain his emotions when called for. Okay, so when you put the word, inserted the word wimp into the copy, how did Margaret Warner react? She hated it. She fought it bitterly and was, really? made, you know, in the tradition of great reporters, She and I forced it. I mean, I said, yeah. we're, we're doing this. I'm the boss and you're not. She said it was unfair. <laughs> or, totally, uh, yeah, yeah, unfair. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I said, too bad. Right, right, right. We're going to write the story in a way, if you actually read the story, right. and if you do read the story, it's not just, ah, he's a wimp. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's He's called this right. word, and it's a problem for him, but there's a if you understand how he actually works, you can understand how this came to pass. And no one remembers that it was actually called fighting the wimp factor, right? <laughs> right. That, that probably was, <laughs> that having, having written uh, cover language myself, um, that probably was the product of some hand-wringing. Can we really say wimp on the cover? No, Do we need like to qualify Steve, the, the, it somehow? The line, the line was written by Steve Smith, another yeah. editor. Uh, yeah. And he wanted to, he, and he intentionally chose a photo of Bush that looked, made him look manly. Because we wanted to. to it's on a although manly right? in a very patrician yeah. New England. Okay. He's like, he's on a. He's on a, he's on a cigarette know, boat, it looks I'm, like. I don't even know yeah. what, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what kind yeah. of boat that yeah. is. Actually, uh, high wash don't like motorboats, but that's a level <laughs> of nuance <laughs> we don't need to get into. Uh, well, uh, you would know. But <laughs> right. Well, that's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Because this is, you know, I am a high wasp, yeah. and I'm, I'm writing yeah. about my own here, right. and I'm overcompensating. Right. I'm overcompensating. All right, so how did the Bushes react to this cover? They hated it. The key here. And everybody who's a human being will understand the following story. This cover story appeared on the day that Bush declared for president in 1987. And Bush watched as his daughter, his teenage daughter, Darrow, picked up the cover of Newsweek, which in those days was actually important, picked up the cover of Newsweek and burst into tears. Now, think about it. You're a father, and you're watching your teenage daughter burst into tears on what's supposed to be one of the biggest days of your life. How would you feel about it? Bad. Yeah. Right. So and didn't they? Didn't you hear from them from for oh years God, into no. the future? Well, let's actually Tell let's us actually, about that. Well, actually, let's. You actually had to go. You all had to go up there and grovel to the bushes. There was a famous. There was so the. the yeah. the, what were we used to call it? There was some. We had some euphemism. The wimp <laughs> groveling tour. Or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had this because that's Newsweek, what you're on now, right? Yes, yes <laughs> I'm on a version of it. But yeah. uh, back then, Newsweek every election cycle did a very admirable and expensive thing of doing a special issue at the end of every election with a lot of inside reporting. That requires access. And after the wimp cover came out, Bush cut off Newsweek for the special issue, the special access, the special bond. We had a real problem. That was a big deal. Come yeah. September 1988, a year later, and we weren't getting access. We were screwed. So we, so Tom DeFrank, who's a very good reporter, went to James A. Baker, who was a great fixer, Bush's fixer, mm-hmm. and said, "We got to fix this." And so Baker arranged a formal grovel. It's like a delegation. A delegation. The delegation <laughs> consisted of. Catherine Graham, who's the own owned the company. Catherine uh, Graham Kath- herself. Catherine Graham, and and the editor of Newsweek and me, 
and I was the fall guy here. Yeah. Uh, I went in, and Bush <laughs> asked me, how many times did that ugly word appear in the story? And, of course, I was unprepared, and I hadn't counted. Yeah. And Baker, who was prepared for everything, said four times. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I groveled and, you know, wrung my hands. But I realized when I was there, this was all a kabuki dance. It was a formal apology by me so that Mrs. Graham could flirt with George. They did this. I watched. I'm sitting, sitting there. And, I, I, and, yeah. things were, and, and the fences were mended. We got access. It all turned out. The way you told me the story, as I recall, was that you knew that everything was going to be okay on the way out because you saw yes. Kay Graham and, uh, exactly. and George Bush flirting with I, each and other. I was a little slow to this party to understand exactly what my role was and all that, but it was clear to me as we were leaving watching George flirt with Kay and they were social equals and social buddies, that this w we were now, the door was going to swing but open. Didn't, we were going to get our didn't access. W still hold it against Newsweek? Yes, because he was in the hit squad protecting Dad. Right. And his role, you know, remember, what was his He was Sonny. He was Sonny. Sonny from The Godfather. He was Right. Sure. Yeah. Of course. And, and so you heard about it Forever. during W's presidency. Forever. Yeah. It never stopped. Okay. So and not just W, but H.W. was mad about it. Yeah. He, he stayed. The whole Bush clan made it. I don't begrudge them this to, for the story I just told about watching his daughter cry. So after the setup, uh, the lead in your piece for Yahoo News, you've got one sentence that just says how wrong we were. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Talk about. It was, it's journalism getting it sort of partly right. Yes, he had a problem. But to leave the impression that he was in some ways possibly a wimp is just not right. And he if showed. He, true courage as president. He did in, in big ways. But specifically, uh, he said no new taxes, and then when he had to, he broke his own pledge, raised taxes. That cost him, this is the most one of the most ambitious guys who ever lived, that cost him the 1992 election. He put country over his own political fortunes. He did the right thing. And then when the Cold War was ending, and everybody was after him to gloat over beating the Russians, he said, we're not going to do that. I'm not sure I can think of an example of presidential political courage at that level since then. I mean, um, that, that, that tax deal that they produced, which has all been forgotten, set the stage for the 1990s economic recovery, because they did get the deficit under control. The beneficiary was Clinton. The guy who beat right. him in 92 was the beneficiary. There was eight years. Our greatest period of prosperity as a country came partly because the, we did the fiscal right thing in that budget Clinton, deal in 1990. Clinton admits that. He says if he hadn't had those budget rules, he right. wouldn't have been able to lay the groundwork. It's all technical, nerdy, who everybody's yeah. forgotten, but it was actually important. And yet there was the nastiness of the 88 campaign. Yes, true. Uh, Roger Ailes, right Lee Atwater, Willie right. Horton, You're right. something that You're Bush right. used. Did he acquiesce in it? Yeah, it's a little blurry. I mean, this is like the CIA, you know. Yeah. Uh, rid me of these troubles. I mean, you know, they yeah. never <laughs> actually <laughs> give the assassinators an order. They they yeah. kind of let their lieutenants do it. The lieutenants in this case yeah. were Roger Ailes and Lee Atwater, two of the best gut fighters in the history of American politics. Right. And Bush surely knew what he was buying when he hired those guys. They were going to fight hard, and they were going to fight dirty. So yeah, do, you, do you think that part of the explanation for that was being tagged with the wimp factor, and he was well, determined to show he yeah. was not a wimp <laughs> and would use Ailes like and Atwater? You've asked the existential question, yeah. and uh, I'm not his biographer or his priest, so I can't tell you. I just don't know. Yeah, but at some level, he may have realized that he needed. He needed. Maybe I mean, yeah, but yeah. it is it is the right question. It's an existential question. I don't. It's the kind of thing you don't you can't really know. So, what did you learn from this episode? 
Oh, I've had a long career in journalism. I made bigger mistakes, but yeah. it was a mistake. <laughs> we'll, we'll have you back to talk about some of those. <laughs> right? But, uh, but yeah, the, the idea that, you know, the piece you wrote, you know, this week, how wrong you were, I mean, what was it that caused you to say that? What well, here's what I, I yeah. personally, yeah. I knew when I, that we were making too much of the wimp thing. In my own heart, mm-hmm. I knew when I wrote that into the story that we were going one step too far. We were hyping it for our own purposes. I rationalized it. If you'd asked me at the time, I would have denied it. Mm-hmm. But I lay, lay awake a little bit thinking about this, as I've had about the aforementioned many other mistakes I've made in journalism. Mm-hmm. And I know in my own heart, if I'd been older and more mature and more powerful, mm-hmm. I would have resisted. So as we remember George H.W. Bush this week, the uh, memorial service uh, on Wednesday, the funeral, I guess, on Friday, what do you think people should take away most from his life? Well, you put your finger on a restraint. I mean, there is a value in restraint. It's not the only value in politics, but it is an important value in our culture, not just our president, but our culture has lost sight of that value. We need to get it back. Can you get that back? Can you get those kinds of values back? I mean, I think there can be a course correction post-Trump, but can you go back to that kind of... Only with great leadership. Uh, uh, Well, basically, we're not going to get it back. Culturally, we're not going to get it back. We're going to screw up. We're going to drive off the cliff. We're going to have a huge budget crisis. Things are going to go wrong. And out of the smoldering wreckage of whatever mistake we made, some other cultural... But presidents don't have to be a pure reflection of the culture, right? They can be more... So Obama was not a reflection of some of those kinds of past... No, but I think think we put a lot... I like blaming Trump for everything that goes wrong. But actually, he's in some part a reflection of our culture. Not a good thing for our culture, I would say. But (laughs) um, in any case, uh, Evan, thanks for uh, joining us, and we'll have to have you back. Okay. We'll have him back when his uh, forthcoming biography of Sandra Day O'Connor comes back. What's it called? March 19th. First, because she was the first. Okay. uh, And it's coming out on March 19th. Okay. First, she Sandra she is a Westerner, but she comes. She has some of those same. She does. She and Bush were actually buddies, oh. and she had some of the same restraint and self discipline. Her key to being a successful woman was self discipline. Men could cry and whine and get drunk and be fools. She had amazing self discipline, and that was the key to her success. That and her great intelligence. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you on Friday.